Praise God, my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who is Lord God, and forever and ever he reigns. We just sang these words, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. Here's what the book of Hebrews chapter 2 says. I'll read from verse 14 and a little bit further down. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. Who shares? Who shares? Can you say it again? Children. Okay, thank you. He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. This is the words that the author in the book of Hebrews wrote. If you are subject to slavery, to the fear of death, Christ came and died so that the one who has the power of death may have no power. And this right here is a promise. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, there is no sin that can hold you down. Because if you believe in Christ, you are a child of God. And you can sing these words. I'm no longer, I don't, don't fear. I'm no longer a slave. I'm a child of God. Does this make sense? Who here is afraid of dying? It's okay to say yes. I'm, I'm afraid of dying. I am afraid of dying. I know that Christ is my Savior and that Christ resurrected from the dead and that means I too will resurrect because I believe in Him and I know the promises of God's Word. But I'm afraid of dying. Are you? Or is it just me? The other day, yesterday, I saw a train. It was Amtrak flying at 50 miles an hour or so. I'm about 30 feet away from the train, fueling up. I'm like, wow, just a few feet and I could be dead. Scary thought. That's reality. So, it's natural to be afraid of death. However, Scripture here does say that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He's saying here we're no longer slaves to the fear of death because of what Christ has done on the cross. Do you believe this? Say amen if you do. Amen. It's quiet. Nonetheless, that's all right. The grace of God will work within us. Let us all stand to our feet. We're going to have a word of prayer. I will pray. Father, we thank you that we can be here together in fellowship, that we can hear the reading of your word, that we are able to hear testimonies, that we are able to listen with our ears and see with our eyes and understand with our minds the things that are being spoken and read. And Father, I ask those who do not understand, may you reveal it to them, for it is not flesh and blood that reveals it, but it is God Almighty, the Father, who reveals it to us and who makes understanding able. And I thank you for this. Father, bless us. Bless your word that you've given on my heart to preach and to speak. May it be understood. 
may it be concise. May all those who hear understand, Lord, and apply it. And may I also practice it and apply it in my own life, that I too may not be a hypocrite, but one who shares in the blessing. And I thank you for your word. I thank you for the glorious gospel. Make me small, make yourself big, Lord. And may your word be preached tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Michael, for sharing what you shared. I don't know what you've taken from the sermon. I took a lot. There is a foundation. We are running. And we are striving towards a goal. Who here has ever done any sports? Practiced uh, cross-country? Sprinting? Okay, one, I see one hand, two hand. Three, I saw four, five. Okay, it's good. I did cross country. I did it for a couple of years in middle school, and that was about it. Who here likes sports? Raise your hand. Okay, the majority. Good. So you all know what it's like to run. Has anyone ever experienced, after a long run or a jog, soreness? Being sore, tired. Fatigue. Who has ever experienced that during a run? I think we all have. I think we all have. If we open up to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. That is 1 Corinthians, chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. It says these words. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable one. So, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. These are the words of Apostle Paul. One of the greatest apostles that ever walked on the earth, said these words, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, he's looking at this example of a runner, a person who runs, a person who's running a marathon. Marathons are long. And so Apostle Paul's watching this, and he's using it as an example for us, and he wrote it down. All the runners are running in the race. So what do runners experience in a race? What are some of the effects of running? Let's look it up. Let's look. First of all, we experience something called competition. All are running, right, on the next slide. All are running in the race. There's, there's competition. Have you ever done anything competitive? I know that it's actually going down. Trend. I recently was with an American Vietnamese friend and we were having lunch. 
And he was telling me about his three children. And one of his sons, who's 12 years old, he says, you know, uh, previously he wrestled, he ran, he was in all the sports, he was an athlete. March comes along, and now he's a potato couch. He sits on the couch, and he plays video games. He doesn't want to run anymore. He doesn't want to do sports anymore. He doesn't want to be competitive anymore. He just sits and talks to his friends over this thing. We've actually seen that ourselves when we had boys retreat just last year. We had the eighth grader boys who are so cool, so cool for everyone. They didn't want to scale a 10-foot wall. It's team group effort, right? You help each other scale. They didn't want to scale it. They didn't want to crawl in the mud underneath the ropes. They didn't want to do the military crawls. They didn't want to jog. They didn't want to do anything too cool. No competitiveness whatsoever. But it's still there. We still get competitive. There's still competition between us people. I remember running in cross country. You're running towards one side. You have to turn around. You're running back. And the other runners would give high fives to the other people. But sometimes you see another opponent from a different school running. You're like, nope, no high five for you. You're competitive. You want to beat the person. Why? Because there's always one person that wins a prize. And they win a prize that perishes. The trophy will perish. It's nothing but metal. The wreath is nothing but an object that will one day burn. So there's competition in the race when we're running. We're competitive. What else is there? There's loneliness. Who's ever run in a race and experienced loneliness? The only thing you hear is your breath, your heart, your lungs. Yeah, the music. But take it out. Run without it. What do you hear? Nothing but your own breathing. And you're just running and running and running. You know, in the marathon, you experience loneliness because sometimes you're doing a long-distance run and there's no one running beside you. Sometimes you like to go on a jog with a friend, walk with a friend, walk with a sibling, and you're talking while you're walking and jogging or whatever it may be. But in the marathon, you're on your own. You're on your own. There's this picture of this person running this road by himself in the fog. And they're by themselves. You know, the Christian life sometimes is a lonely walk. It's a lonely run. Don't ever think, and I appreciate Michael's honesty, when he said somebody came up to me and said, after baptism, everything's going to be great. You know, to be honest with you, after baptism, I had some of the most biggest, largest regrets in my life that I hold to this day. That's just what it is because, yes, you get tempted while you're on that run. And while you think, hey, I'm in the runner's high. I feel good. I'm jogging. I'm winning. There will come something along the way that will trip or tempt. And that's what happens. You know, we Christians sometimes think that, yeah, we're just running along in this race or walking on this Christian path, this walk, and we're not supposed to experience loneliness. You know what? God created us human beings, to be social. He created us human beings so that we can talk to each other, so that we can socialize, so that we can see each other's faces and be glad and rejoice at each other's company. 
But don't think that as a Christian, we never experience loneliness. That's not true. Look through the scripture. Ezekiel experienced loneliness. Jeremiah, poor Jeremiah, read Jeremiah, and God said, Jeremiah, you can't get married. Jeremiah, you can't go to that funeral. Jeremiah, you can't go to that event where the people are. Jeremiah, you're going to weep by yourself and sit here by yourself. And all he did was weep and cry and spoke the words of God. God's words were his comfort and his companion. But he experienced loneliness when he's speaking the truth and he's thrown into a well to be left to die in that pit. Did he not experience loneliness? Moses went, took the sheep out, went to the mountain of God by himself with sheep, saw God, saw the burning bush, then again took the Israelites, walked many years later to that same mountain, again went up on that mountain for 40 days because the people said, Moses, no, go Go ahead of us. We, we, we're too scared. You go represent us. Did Moses not experience loneliness? Did Joshua not experience loneliness? Did Christ himself not experience loneliness? When he was lonely for 40 days being tempted, who came to tempt him? Don't think that on our marathon, on our run or walk in this Christian life, don't think Satan will never come to us. He will. He will. And sometimes on those lonely runs, he always sends the opposite gender. There you go. Don't experience loneliness. Here's the opposite gender who's fulfilling all your needs and all the right words. But be careful. Because on that walk and that time, that's when we're most prone to attacks. We experience loneliness. Remember, John the Apostle, towards the end of his life, when he went to write the book of Revelation, he saw the revelation of Jesus Christ. Where was he? He was on the island of Patmos, alone. Solitary confinement. There you go. There you're banished. You're going there by yourself. Where do the most hardcore criminals get sent to in our society? Solitary confinement, padded room. You're going in that small cell. Apostle Paul said these words when he was in prison at one time. He said, everybody abandoned me, but Christ came and stood by my side. He came and kept me company. Sometimes, remember this, in Christian walks, in life, when we're being a Christian and we're walking on this marathon for our whole life, loneliness affects us and it comes along. And we are not, you are not, and I am not exempt from that coming along. And sometimes we have to choose to be lonely. Friends, I can't hang out with you. You're a bad influence on me. I'm on the marathon with Christ in my Christian walk. Sorry, friends, I can't be with you. You, you, you tell me bad things. You, you, you try to make me do bad things. Those kind of friends, it's better to be alone and see Christ than to have friends that take you off to the right or to the left, like Michael shared earlier. All right, what else do we experience? What else are the effects of long-term running? Pain. We experience pain. We experience aches. We experience joints hurting. 
we experience lungs, out of breath, shortness of breath, dizziness, you name it, pain. Have you ever heard that phrase, keep pushing the wall? Or, or pain is weakness leaving the body? You ever heard of that one? That's the Marine slogan. There's a reason why they say that. Because you have a bunch of young Marines who come in at age 18, 19, 20, and they're saying, just go through it, baby. It hurts, suck it up, go. Pain, oh well, it'll go away. But pain comes along. In Christian walk, in the marathon, as a Christian, we will experience pain, rejection, friendship, betrayal. Christ experienced that. Apostle Peter experienced pain when he himself denied Christ. He experienced the pain that the fellowship, the relationship that he had with Christ was all of a sudden severed, gone. And he wept and he cried and he cried. Uh, scripture says, I don't know about you, but when I read this verse, I don't recall it. It says that there's a certain place reserved for those where there is no more fellowship with the light. It's speaking about hell. Imagine being punished, going to hell, and you have no fellowship. It's completely separated from the love and the light and the joy and the peace of Jesus Christ. No fellowship. Pain will haunt, and the worm doesn't die. That's what hell is. No fellowship whatsoever with anyone. With anyone. Completely cut off from the fellowship of God. You don't have it there, down there. And Scripture is clear. That's pain. But here on this earth, we experience in the, in the marathon pain. We experience in our Christian walk pain. Now, if I were to ask any of you, have you ever experienced pain? Guess what? We're all going to say yes. We don't even need to raise our hands to that. We've all been there. Pain. What, what, else, what else from pain? Sometimes we may be addicted to a sin, and we hate it. Our flesh is addicted to a sin. We hate it. Is that not pain? It's sad when people enjoy a sin, even though it brings pain. I'll share the story I remember I shared at youth years ago when I worked in the emergency department at St. Joe's. It was probably about 10 years ago now, maybe 9. I think it was 9. I remember one morning, it was 6 a.m., and the woman was brought in by Tacoma police. She was a prostitute. And she's in custody. She's in one of the rooms. I remember room 13. I'm staying there, and I'm curious said so to the cop, to the officer. So what's the story? You know, because cops always share with medical staff. They, they, you know, it's, they shared. He says, oh, forgive me for my blunt language. And maybe it may be crude. Just another hoe got in a fight with another hoe over some dude. So, oh, that's sad. I looked at her. She was probably 22 years old. And she was cold. I felt bad. I went to the blanket warmer. I grabbed the warm blanket, 
you can grab, you know, they have those. Grab two of them, I think. And I, you're not allowed to walk into someone's room if they're in police custody. I walked into it and I put a blanket either on her or beside her, but I gave her a warm blanket. When I walked inside the room, I looked at her feet. She was barefoot. So you can imagine she ran around at night. She had bugs crawling on her feet. It was visible. It wasn't little fleas. It wasn't little gnats. It was bugs. I said, oh, God, have mercy. I walked out of that room. She looked at me with these eyes. She turned around. She saw her blankets. She turned around. We made eye contact. And the eyes, I'll never forget to this day, they were so hurt, deep, rejected, abandoned, you name it. Hopeless. She took the blankets, she turned back over into that fetal position, and she was gone. You know, that's what sin does. It comes at us and it portrays itself, as Scripture says, devil comes, Satan comes. He masquerades himself as light. He makes himself look so good in that pretty liquor bottle. He makes himself look so good in that illicit relationship. He makes himself look so good through those fake promises and fake words. He makes himself look so good through that horrible, sick thing called vaping. He makes himself look so good and promising and feel good. Feel good. Numb the pain. But all that's a lie because the effects of that are death. That's what they are. Ask any drug addict, would you do it again? They would say, no. God forbid, no. And if you think that's not true, go ask them. Go to a rehab and just ask them, would you do it again? Would you vape again? No, for heaven's sake. For Christ, no way. No way. But it looks good. You know, we Christians, we sometimes think, and not only Christians, we in this world right now, we don't want to talk about pain. We want a pain-free life. Give me painkillers. Give me morphine. Give me that oxycodone. Give me those pills. I don't want to feel the pain. I want to numb it. I want to numb my heart. I want to numb my feelings. I want to numb the past. I want to numb whatever came around in my life that I wish I never experienced. I just want to numb it for once and just be away from that pain. That's what the world wants. You come into the hospital and say, on the scale of 1 to 10, 1 the least, 10 the most, what's your level of pain? You know, those who actually tolerated high amounts of pain, they're very patient to it. I remember a man, he was from our church, he came into the ER. He said, I have a slight headache. So I said, Andrew, he's Russian-speaking. Take him over to the CAT scan. I took him over to the CAT scan. They scanned it. His whole entire half of the brain was full in blood. He had a massive stroke, and he's a ticking time bomb to be dead. And the guy is looking at the screen saying, Andrew, can you go ask him what his pain level is? I said, what's your pain level? It's not so bad. It's not so bad. I said, no, seriously, tell me, how bad does it hurt? Uh, it's not so bad. I said, what side of the brain hurts? This one? Yeah, that's the one that had the hemorrhage. This one hurts. Oh, okay, well, guess what? Two days later, two days later, he was dead. 
but that's pain. In Christianity, on the walk with Christ, we experience pain. We can't numb the pain. It's one of the effects. One of the effects in life is pain. Don't find an easy way out looking for the bottle or whatever it may be to numb it. Go to Christ. Christ experienced all the temptations. All of hell came up against him and tempted him. But he didn't fail. He experienced hunger, rejection, thirst, sleepless nights. He experienced everything so that he can relate to me and you because he's the high priest. And we come to him and he knows exactly what we've experienced. Don't think Christ hasn't. When he's in his ministry speaking to the Pharisees, they said, we know that we are born of fathers. We are not illegitimate children. What are they talking about? They're referencing to his past. They're saying, we don't even know where you came from. From Joseph? Oh, we remember that story. Can you experience those remarks? Christ experienced that. He experienced pain. He knows what it is. We can't numb it in this world. Go to Christ. We run with him. We have pain. We experience pain. We lay it at the cross of Jesus Christ. As the scripture says, cast all your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. Do that. Go to him. Don't resort to the flesh and to the things that this world offers to numb pain. You'll never, ever numb it. You'll never get rid of it. It's always going to be there. Go to Christ. You're already on the jog with him. You're already on the marathon. Might as well continue. Christ, you see my pain. Please take it. Take it away. All right, what else do we experience? We experience effort. Let's go through a few more. Effort, discipline, self-control, prize. A runner receives a prize at the end. The Olympists, when they go to the Olympics, they receive a gold medal, a silver medal, a bronze. I don't know. Do they give participation awards? Probably not. Maybe they do. I don't know. I've never been. Maybe they do. But in any case... The participation award is nothing. You didn't win. You didn't get the medal. Everyone knows who Mike Phelps is. Nobody knows the other person who swam representing Germany. Maybe somebody knows. I don't remember. Why? Because they didn't win the gold medal or the bronze or the silver. The point is this. Apostle Paul is saying, look at the runners. They're running. They're experiencing all of this. They're experiencing self-control. They control their bodies in order to win that prize that's perishable. And then he says, but we, an imperishable. Have you ever imagined that the reward that Christ gives will never ever go away? It will never rot, as Dennis read today, Storing your treasures in heaven. It will never rot. It will never be broken into or stolen by thieves. It is Christ who holds that prize, that reward for those runners who run to him and towards him. Isn't that great? Praise God that our security is found only in him. 
And nothing, nothing can be snatched out of his hand. All right, so as a runner, we experience all those things. Discipline, self-control, a prize. All right, and we continue. The prize is eternal, forever and ever. If you take a look at that photo right there, it's eternal. You look into heaven. You look into the light. It never ends. Christ will be the light in the new Jerusalem. And there will never be darkness. There will always be light. Always. So we look at eternally. Athlete competes for something that perishes. How much more if our prize is imperishable? Do you want a prize that never fades away? That never perishes? Do you or no? Amen. Thank you. Amen. I want a prize that never, never will perish. The book of Revelations does say that when we stand before Christ, we'll take our crowns off. Where are we going to lay it? At his feet. Why? Because he was the one who gave us that crown, that prize in the first place. And then we'll say, Christ, you deserve the glory, the honor, the praise, the thanksgiving. I couldn't have done that marathon unless you helped me. And you helped me. You carried me. You deserve all the glory. Here's the crown at your feet. Everybody, millions of crowns will go at the feet of Jesus because he alone is worthy. Friend, do you want to be in that ceremony when you receive the crown just to give it back to Christ? I do. Do you? Continue running the marathon. Are you running? Are you practicing and experiencing all those things the effects that we spoke about, loneliness on the Christian walk, pain sometimes, suffering, discipline, control, self-control. Apostle Paul said he is running, not aimlessly. He's not running to absolutely nowhere. If you ask a marathon runner, where are you running? What are they going to say? Oh, nowhere. Why are you running? I don't know. No, they're going to say, I'm running to that finish line because I want to win. I want to cross it. I want to go there. I want to pass that line. I don't want to just walk over it or crawl over it. I want to run past it. I want to run into the kingdom of God. You know, have you ever heard these quotes? As long as I just get a shack in the corner somewhere on the outskirts of heaven... I'm okay. That's fine for me. I'm set with that. You ever heard that? I've heard that. Let me tell you, those kind of people are the most dangerous people. You know why? Because they're playing lukewarm. They're playing, I want the earth, and I want heaven. I want it to be good here, but good enough, just good enough borderline that I can make it here. That's what they're saying. Apostle Paul didn't say that. He said, we're running. And so the question is, are you running aimlessly, or, but are you aiming with precision like Michael shared earlier? Do you have a goal? Are you focused on Christ to run to him, or are you just living for yourself and for your own pleasure? Honestly, answer your own question. Am I living for myself to feel good, to gratify my own flesh, or am I living for Christ? Am I disciplining myself to live for Christ? Are we disciplined? And that question is, 
Why? Why discipline yourself? Imagine. Apostle Paul really ends it with this. Teaching. Preaching. Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Telling people. You're on this Christian walk. You're being a good, sincere Christian. You're telling everyone about the love of Jesus. You yourself are staying pure. You yourself are living in Christ, reading God's word. You're, you're learning hymns and practicing songs and singing. You're in Christ. You're even in the ministry. And all of a sudden, you say, I give up. A week left, I give up. It's similar to a marathon runner practicing for five years to run the Boston Marathon, to go Tour de France on the bicycle, to do whatever huge event. Practicing, 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 disciplining. Apostle Paul said, discipline my own body in every aspect. That means your food, your counting calories. That means your sleep. That means your mornings at 4 in the morning and your evenings till 11 at night. That means in everything you do, you're practicing to run and win a marathon. You practice for five, six, seven years. You discipline yourself. You're running 28 miles nonstop. You could do it. You're starting to shave off seconds each and every single time you run. And then the week before the event, you say, I'm done. I give up. I'll still win. And you sit on the couch. You eat the potatoes. You drink the soda for a whole week straight before the marathon. You get up and you say, I'm going to go run the marathon. And I'm going to win. What's going to happen? You're going to puke within the first mile because your body was saying you were disciplined for six, seven years. And all of a sudden, the last week, Right before the run, you decide to be undisciplined, you decide to gorge, you decide to do whatever you want, and not keep your life in check. Do you think that marathon runner is going to win? No, he won't. It's a simple answer, because they simply gave up, loosened up. became undisciplined. Apostle Paul says these words, "I keep." My body disciplined and under control. Why? He says these words, lest after preaching to others, I should be disqualified. Imagine Apostle Paul, the last week, the last stretch of his ministry, when he's already in Rome, when he's about to stand before the emperor, when he knows that he is sentenced to death, says, I give up. Oh, well. Ezekiel, I read this morning, said something similar to, if a person who is righteous and lives righteously and has acts of righteousness but then turns from his righteousness and becomes wicked, what happens? All the righteousness that he's ever done is worthless. He dies as a wicked person. So when we have the words of Christ, when we have God's word right here, let us be disciplined. Let us control and keep our body in check. While we're running on this marathon. We can't numb the pain. It's going to come along. We can't take away the loneliness. It's going to be there. We're going to experience it in our Christian walk with Christ. We're going to have aches and pains and bruises. Apostle Paul and all the apostles and all the heroes of faith experienced it. We are not exempt. Friends, 
We're not. Don't have this illusion that we Christians in America will be Christian, live in nice houses, cars, everything, and just walk straight through the pearly gates into heaven without experiencing anything ever. That's an illusion. That's a lie. Prosperity gospel is not real. It's false. So, practical living. How does a Christian keep their life disciplined? How do we keep our lives in check and disciplined while we walk with Christ? First of all, let's ask this question. Is your prayer disciplined in your life? Do you pray daily or do you not pray at all? Here's another question. Your scripture reading, is it disciplined or is it not read at all? Is it sporadic? Is it scattered? Is it whenever you feel like it? What's your word, your time in the word, what's that like? Is it disciplined or not? What about hospitality? You know, Scripture, I believe in 1 Peter, says that we ought to practice hospitality. What does that mean? That means bringing someone in to your house, sharing your room, your bed, your food, showing hospitality, being generous towards someone, towards the other person. Are you practicing hospitality or are you holding everything to yourself? Here's another question. Are you memorizing God's word? Are you hiding God's word in your heart? As the psalmist said, I hide my word in your heart that I might not sin against you. And as we heard earlier in first psalm, I meditate on the law day and night. That's a righteous person. Are you meditating on the words of Christ? Or are you meditating on your cell phones? So once in a while, you can check. I'm not saying it's bad to be on your phone. But what are you meditating on? What's in your mind every day? What's your thinking? If someone were to see your thoughts right here on the screen displayed, what would it show? Would you be embarrassed or not? I understand fiery darts shot from the pits of hell, as Scripture says, but we ought to extinguish them. That's why we have the shield of faith. That's why we have the helmet of salvation. That's why we're the breastplate of righteousness. We have these things for our defense mechanisms because arrows are shot at the head. And at the heart, the torso, right here. Are you meditating and memorizing God's word? Are you memorizing music? Ask the musicians here. Does music help you? Oh, look at King David's life. When he was all alone, a young teenager, his dad would say, go watch the sheep. He would go and spend some time alone. What did he do in his alone time? He practiced slinging the slingshot. He practiced singing. He practiced his harp. He practiced life skills that took him through the rest of his life. If he didn't practice those things when he was young, he would never have killed Goliath. He would not have been a great warrior. He would not have been able to be a singer in the presence of Saul. Because in that foundation, his young early years, like Michael shared earlier, the foundation, he practiced those things and it came to be very handy further down. So what are we doing? Are you practicing songs? Are you learning hymns? If I were to ask you, sing one of your favorite songs, could you sing it through the whole entire song? Do you know the stanzas or no? Or is it a simple song that you know with only three lines? Scripture reminds us to sing spiritual songs and hymns. Do you sing or no? 
Okay, next, schooling, work. All these things, wherever you are, are you walking as a Christian in your daily walk with Christ? Are you running on this marathon with Christ? Even if that means being honest at work. Even if that means losing status or friends or or whatever at work. Are you being honest in what you do everywhere in every aspect of your life or not? A Christian walk in life encompasses everything. When you run a marathon as a Christian, you're not running just in one area. It encompasses everything. Scripture says these words I want to share with you. In the book of 1 Peter, 2 Peter, I apologize, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Apostle Peter says these words, But grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you growing in Christ as you run on this marathon for a wreath that is imperishable? And again, 1 Timothy 4, 8, Apostle Paul says these words, For while bodily training is of some value in every way, as for while bodily training is of some value, godliness in every way is more, I'm paraphrasing, because it holds a promise in this life and in the life to come. Godliness training. Don't think as a Christian, once you're a Christian, you're baptized, you're done. It's a lifelong walk, lifelong journey. It's a lifelong run. You experience the effects. But Peter says, Apostle Peter says, grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge. And Apostle Paul says, continue to have godliness. Training godliness because it affects this life and the life to come. Are you practicing that? Examine your life. Examine your thoughts. Examine what you do. Examine if your foundation is Jesus Christ. If it is not, accept him. If your foundation is not Jesus Christ, you have no foundation. You're built on sand. Accept Christ. Believe in him. And do this journey, this life, with Jesus Christ. And run the marathon with him. He'll understand you. He'll know you. And in fact, he knows you better than you know yourself. I'm so grateful and thankful that Christ, my Lord, my Savior, knows me better than I know myself. I want to share with this poem that I read today earlier. It's a hypothetical letter from someone who died without knowing Jesus. They're writing this letter back to their friend. So let's just imagine This person writes this letter, and he says, My friend, I stand in judgment now and feel that you're to blame somehow. On earth we walked day by day, and never did you show the way. You knew the Lord in truth and glory, but never did you tell me the story. My knowledge then was so very dim And you could have led me straight to him. And though we lived together on earth, you never told me of a second birth. 
And now I stand here condemned because you failed to mention him. You taught me many things, that's true. I called you friend. I trusted you. But now I've learned that it's too late. And you could have saved me from this fate. We walked and talked by day and night. And yet you showed me not the light. You let me live and love and die. And you know I'd never live with you on high. Yes, I called you friend in life and trusted you through joy and strife. And yet I'm coming to the end and cannot call you now my friend. You know, it's a sobering poem. Let's imagine and examine our lives and think, what kind of friend are we? Are we telling those around us the gospel of Christ while we walk on earth? while we're doing this marathon, to receive a crown, a prize that is imperishable? Are you sharing with others that there's a prize that is imperishable? Or are you not? Let us remember the words of Apostle Paul, the words of Christ, that we ought to walk with Christ to receive something that's imperishable. And let us grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let's, let's kneel for prayer. Let's take a knee.